We would like to thank your sponsor, Valley First, a division of First West Credit Union and a member-owned financial cooperative serving the Okanagan, Similkameen, and Thompson regions. They offer a wide range of banking and investment services for individuals and families. Valley First also has a talented business and commercial team to provide the expertise, products, and services local businesses need to grow and thrive. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Business Matters presented by Valley First, a division of First West Credit Union. Uh, I'm I'm Rob Capallo, and today we're joined by Brad Peterson. Brad, thanks for joining me today. So great to be here, Rob. I'm really looking forward to our discussion together. Yeah, awesome. Thank you. So, Brad, you, um, you're an award-winning entrepreneur, an angel investor, a thought leader, a business coach, lots. Um, in 2018, you founded and scaled Canada's top toy company, Tech for Kids, which we'll talk about. And then you co-founded Pella, um, which was a $100 million sustainable phone case startup. Uh, in 2021, <laughs> you, you, along with the team of Pella, successfully launched a record-breaking $9.8 million crowdsourced campaign for the Lomi, which is an amazing product, um, the world's mm -hmm. first smart uh, waste kitchen composter and composter. On top of all that, you have passion for family, fitness, adventure, and outdoor pursuits. So we have a lot to unpack, for sure, in uh, in half hour. <laughs> It's going to be busy for sure. So Brad, um, I'm curious if we can start, uh, where did you get your entrepreneurial spirit and path from? Like, where did the spark come from way back when, uh, when you're a young kid, young teenager, where did that journey start for you? Yeah. Well, look, I, I kind of joke uh, the fact that my life is a series of happy accidents. Um, it, it wasn't obvious that that's what I was supposed to do, particularly to become an entrepreneur who went into toys. Um, but I grew up in the prairies of Canada. Um, you know, I was surrounded by um, uh, uh, people who were focused on agricultural oil, which is what it's known for. And, um, you know, I came from actually a line of chiropractors. My father was a chiropractor. My grandfather and grandmother were chiropractors. My great-grandfather was the first chiropractor in Denmark. So oh. ever since I was just a little guy, I was told, you're going to be a chiropractor like your dad one day. <laughs> and... Um, that was the career path that was kind of preordained for me. Um, that being said, as a kid growing up, I was a little bit uh, mischievous, got into some trouble. I remember getting the strap two or three times uh, in grade school, just because I was pushing the limits and boundaries and trying new things. And it, it was really all just because I was trying to explore possibilities. And I always had some kind of entrepreneurial tendencies. You know, there's there's this question of like entrepreneurs. Uh, made or are they are they uh, born that way? And so is it nature nurture? And I think it could be a bit of both, but I, I definitely think there is a certain propensity that you grew up with that you know is is helpful in deciding you want to be an entrepreneur. And so you know I uh, I just kind of at an early age got myself into things that eventually led up into businesses that were little hustles while I was in my teen years, and eventually led to a place where I had this really audacious idea that I wanted to get into the world of toys. Interesting. And we're disappointment in the family. You're like, I'm not going to be a chiropractor. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was an initial sense of like, well, he'll eventually come to his senses. You know? and he's going to go do this thing. And one day he's going to wake up and say he needs to really actually join this, uh, this line of, of health professionals. So too funny. So you mentioned you started and then one of Canada's top toy companies called Tech for Kids. How did that, I'm curious, how did that idea come together? Like how did, how did, how did you get into toys to begin with? 
Well, look, it, again, it's a bit of a circuitous path, series of happy accidents. So I read an article in a magazine when I was in my, I guess, early 20s. And it was about a kid who had invented a toy. And it was kind of a rags riches story. And it was a flying toy. And I've always been playful. My wife still accuses me of being a big kid. And I love things that fly. And so I ended up buying some of these toys. I ended up like playing with them and going, wow, these are super cool. Um, and then I had this idea, well, maybe there's an opportunity for me to help market these. And so I contacted the manufacturer who's based in California. And fortunately for me, they were just as naive about Canada as I was about the toy business. So it was kind of like a perfect <laughs> marriage of people that were, uh, you know, stumbling towards their, their future. And, um, you know, I, I got into the world of distribution sort of by accident with that. So I started off kind of like a, a carny. Uh, I was going to different trade shows and events and festivals and throwing these things around and selling <laughs> them out of a bag and, and realized real quickly that doesn't scale. So I ended up hiring some staff and we put kiosks in malls and then we ended up getting into stores. And over time, we actually built that up to become one of the largest toy distribution companies in, in Canada. Uh, but along the way, with a lot of aggressive growth, I found out the hard way that you know most entrepreneurs don't um, don't starve from lacking opportunities. They choke on biting off more they can chew. Right. And I actually found a hard way. You can grow your business too fast. And uh, so I ended up crashing and burning that company in 2006, uh, trying to fix it with some um, restructuring capital. Right. Restructuring is a fancy word for bankruptcy. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, going through a BIA to get new capital in and then ultimately bankrupting that company two years later because it, you know, it was a broken foundation. And, you know, I've come to learn that, you know, you know, rock bottom can be a great foundation to build from again. And as it turns out for me, the best gifts in this case came wrapped in ugly paper because that, that stock forced me to rethink my future and to choose to start again. And I took all the things I didn't want to do right. anymore. And that became the foundation for the new business, which I launched called Tech for Kids. And that was in 2009. And Tech for Kids went on to become a very successful business, more successful than the previous distribution company because we went from distribution to manufacturing, went from being focused on Canada global. We we no longer carried inventory. And that business eventually was merged with another toy company and exists today uh, under the name Basic Fun, which is a manufacturer of brands like uh, Connects, Tonka, Care Bears, um, and you know, a number of other prolific brands. So how was, when you, when you're going through that, the first two times um, when you had to restructure, was it difficult for you to dust yourself off and get back at it? Do, were your days were like, I'm going to be a chiropractor. I'm not doing this anymore. Like, did that ever cross your mind? Of course, yeah. I, I'm human. <laughs> yeah. You know, as I think in the moment, what I can tell people is that in the moment, it sucked. Like mm -hmm. it was absolutely particularly because I think entrepreneurs in general, so much of their identity is right. attached to their businesses and what they do. You know, I birthed this business into, yep. um, into the world and it was so much of it was me. And, and uh, by the way, I raised a bunch of friends and family money along the way. And so when that business went into distress and ultimately went bankrupt, there was an incredible amount of shame, mm -hmm. right? I mean, going back to my hometown was hard, you know, yep. family meals at Christmas and Thanksgiving became very awkward. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I mean, like anybody who was going through those difficulties, I, I struggled. I really struggled with like uh, self-worth right. and trying to figure out, you know, whether or not I should just make a complete change to a different uh, profession. But I've come to learn that, you know, 
struggles are actually what is important to actually build your strength, that your adversities, you can choose to turn those to your advantage. Mm -hmm. And you only become a failure when you get knocked down and you stay down. You know, failing is a part of succeeding, right? right? You got to fail forward. We talk about fail fast, fail often, fail cheap. And it is a part of of moving forward. I mean, a child learning to walk, the first few steps, they fall and scuff their knees, right? Like they, they, they're literally failing to the point where they finally get enough steps in a row that they're actually walking. And so business and life is no different that we should expect that we're going to see challenges, but actually those challenges are there to help forge your character. And so when I experience pain now, I, under, I always ask the question, what is the purpose of this pain? Like, not that I go seek it, Right, well, right. that's not true. I mean, I, I do go to the gym and, and work myself out to a point of pain. But but the yeah. point is, there is a better version of you on the other side of the pain if you're willing to find the purpose for that pain. Right. So yeah, it was hard, but it's a choice in terms of what happened and how you choose to respond to it. Interesting. That's good. That's great advice too. So you dust yourself off, you relaunch, very successful. Where did the roads cross with with uh, 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 Pella? Like where, or Pila, how do you pronounce first? Pila or Pella? Which one? You, you, tomato, tomato, you know, Porsche, Porsche, you, you, you pick. Um, so, so Pela actually is Spanish for peel. Okay. And by the way, I say peel all the time. That's how I call it. But you know, the enunciation in Spanish would be more like Pela and it means peel. And it actually is a great example because we make the world's first composable phone cases. We actually manufacture them right in Kelowna, which we're super proud of. We do all the the design development there as well. And um, and by the way, we ship them to like 180 countries around the world. So it's pretty cool that we've put, you know, Canada, British Columbia, Cologne on the map that way. Um, But they're the first composable phone case. So which means at the end of life, they actually go back to the planet responsibly. Mm -hmm. So we think about it from the perspective, like an orange peel, like that's exactly what an orange peel does, right? Or an apple peel. And that kind of makes sense because we have apple devices with our case on it. Yeah. Um, Right. And, and, and so it really is, is we're, we're just, we're proving with this that, you know, there is a better way forward in terms of the way we, we do things. Most people are used to the idea of the make, take, use waste economy, right? Um, the last hundred years, that's what we've created. Prior to that, there was no waste. I mean, right. things were made out of organic matter that returned back to the planet responsibly. Everything that had to end of life was the beginning of something else's life. And it's only as we've come along, created these incredible materials like plastic, which by the way, I'm not anti-plastic. They've had an incredible, like our quality of life doesn't actually right. um, end up where it is without it. But right. we've turned a lot of things into single use plastic right. and single use is abuse because you make something out of a material that's meant to last for hundreds of years and then use it once and throw it away. And it's, it, that, that doesn't make any sense. So we're showing that there is a better way to actually make things that actually have this graceful end of life. And it's, it's really you know, helping accelerate the responsibility clean economy by moving more of these uh, products to compostable materials. So how did that how did that opportunity come together? Like, and I'm sure it's a long story we'll spend, but in a condensed version, how, how, how did that come together for you? Yeah, well, again, you know, uh, I will call it my um, my inconvenient blessing. So in 2017, I merged Tech for Kids with another company in Florida to form a new company called Basic Fund that I already talked about. Um, 90 days after that merger, um, I got fired. And uh, the reason I got fired is that I was the CEO president of Tech for Kids. The other gentleman was the CEO president of his firm. Uh, we got together and on paper, everything looked awesome. But then when we put all the people together, 
the working style, the culture was, was not a great fit. And I've since come to learn there's no such thing as mergers. There's only acquisition because one culture is going to prevail. One way of doing things is what's ultimately going to become the new organization. And, you know, we just didn't see our philosophies uh, lining up. Um, but again, you know, how do I turn this adversity to my advantage? I got released back to the marketplace yep. and, uh, and in that case, um, you know, I had newfound freedom as a result, and uh, I had opp opportunities to reimagine my future. So I kind of sat back and I, I landed on three principles. I said, first of all, uh, life plan before business plan, which I'd never done before, which is part of the reason I moved from Ontario, from Toronto to the Okanagan. I wanted to yeah. actually live that true. Second is my, uh, you know, only awesome people rule. So, you know, find people who have aligned values and uh, visions for the future and only work with them. People that will actually bring out your best and not be, um, you know, energy vampires by watching yeah. you succeed and be, you know, pulled down by that. And then third was only impact, only focus on things where you can invest your resources to make a meaningful impact. And so as I considered opportunities, um, you know, along came Pila and Matt Bertulli, who's the CEO there, and Jeremy, who's the original founder. The three of us had really complementary working styles, complementary experiences, uh, gifts, if you will. And the three of us really came together and decided to do something very impactful. So we moved the company from Toronto to Kelowna. And, uh, you know, now we're uh, around 100 employees and uh, doing business all around the world and really feeling super empowered by the fact that we're actually making our dent in the universe to make the world a better place, not only for us, but for generations to come. And it, it, it excites me to wake up in the morning knowing that that's a part of what we're doing. That's amazing. And I know that uh, you had a celebrity involved investment from Jay-Z. I know that made the news. So I'm curious, how, how did that how did that come about? Was that just from an investment firm? Like, how did he discover your company? Yeah, look, you know, your network ultimately will determine your net worth, right. um, as you know, one of my friends, Jason's likes to say, and um, I, I don't know Jay-Z personally, right, that right. wasn't, you know, my direct line to him, <laughs> but I had, we had a number of connections with folks in Toronto and through those connections, we got a chance to get to know him and his firm, Marcy Venture Partners. And um, look, they've been great partners for, of ours. Um, and I think, again, they were looking at, um, like you should in any investment, you know, is this idea a good idea? And then who are the people behind it? Right. And if you have a, an idea that's different, and that can stand out and build something unique. And there's a, a high quality team of people that are hungry, humble, and smart, then uh, anything's possible. And uh, so we feel very honored that they decided to back us and entrust us with their resources. Right. Yeah, amazing. And no, oh, you had another endorsement that Kardashians had Lomi on their must have list. Um, so I was I was kind of thinking, I get the idea of the, the sustainability, but how did a phone case company develop a home composter? Like I get I get the connection for sustainability. I get that part of it, but how did that product come together? Yeah, great question. And by the way, I, you know, um, so Matt Bertulli, who's our CEO, he's also the face of the Lomi ads. If you've seen the Lomi ads, you often yeah. see Matt. Um, so he had a Zoom call with the Kardashians and they were fangirling out over. Oh, oh that's the guy in the commercials. <laughs> oh <my God>. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew that that was going to be a thing, right? But uh, it's pretty cool. 
Um, look, it is again, a series of happy accidents, a circuitous path that led to this. And, and as entrepreneurs, what are we doing? We're solving problems. Like we create that, like how you build something of significance is that you create value in the marketplace and the more, um, more value ongoing, the more enduring and durable it becomes. And in this case, you know, we had these compostable phone cases, uh, we're shipping around the world. And then we find out that, you know, most people don't have a, a home compost bin. They don't have access to composting infrastructure. So a bunch of people are sending them back to us, asking us to look after them, give them this end of life. And so we started saying, well, okay, this is a problem. I mean, you know, if there's no home composting and, you know, green bins, which are actually, there's very few green bin in Canada, there's more than there's in the States, but there's very few globally. Um, and even if you do have a green bin program, most of them don't take compostable materials outside of like actual yard waste or food waste. Right. So, uh, and the reason they don't do it because they don't know if it's compostable or if it's real plastic. So they just screen it out and they send it to landfill. So it's not, it's not really set up to handle it. So we started to tease this opportunity out and we were initially going to go and build an industrial composting facility. We're going to raise funds to do it and we'll take everything back and we'll look after it here um, ourselves. And then we just took a, a, a page from Elon Musk's playbook. Like why couldn't every house become an electric charging station for cars? So why couldn't every house actually be an organic processing center? Um, furthermore, if you've had a green bin program, which I had living in Toronto for many years, right. it's gross. Yeah, like yeah. it's a like I don't know anybody who enjoys it. It tends to be a blue job, right. and I mean every week I'd take it out. It's smelly. Um, it would get to the curb and 50, 50 chance in the morning, if I'd be picking it up again, cause the raccoons, uh, had put it yeah. over the place, not to mention rats. And if you live in a place with bears, that's another issue. So, yeah. so long story short is we were just looking for a way to give our phone cases an end of life. And so that we stumbled on the opportunity with Lomi. And then we found out Lomi not only looks after, of course, you know, phone cases, but all food waste and that food waste is a huge contributor to greenhouse gas emissions. So we've solved a problem for both reducing the greenhouse gas emissions as well as allowing for compostables. And then the unexpected great is that the output happens to be a superfood for plants that right. also sequesters carbon. So Alomi is actually on track to become a carbon asset. And we believe it's going to be the most, um, the, the most democratized way for us to actually achieve, uh, uh, I guess, a reverse of climate change, an opportunity to actually address climate change. If everyone had one of these in their home, we would be able to address uh, what currently makes up 8% of the world's greenhouse gas emission, which is food waste. And that's significant. That is significant. What a, what an interesting story. And what I love the story about the Kardashian thing too, but but I, um, I, I think that's, I, now I get the connection and I love how you took our, your current product and developed a new product and then it created a whole different industry for lack of better words. So um, you recently launched a book and I want to make sure we get to that before we end time here, but you recently uh, launched a book called Startup Santa. Uh, it combines the world of toys and business. But so I'm curious, what inspired you to write the book? And then someone that hasn't read it, if they're going to pick it up, what are some of the takeaways they can expect from it? Yeah, look, I, I had no intention to write a book. In fact, <laughs> I already thought that, you know, the world was a noisy enough place. And yeah. furthermore, um, it just seemed really daunting. Like, right. you know, writing a book is something I felt like it would just be a lot of work. Um, but what I wanted to do was to capture some of the experiences of my past, because the thing I've come to learn is that, you know, your 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 mind, your brain is really good for coming up with ideas, but it's not very good for retaining information. Uh, we tend to have a very 
leaky uh, uh, memory, and uh, we have a lot of, you know, what I would say, recency biases just of what's happened recently, not in the long term. So I just started to create it as a memoir. And as I was going down the path of doing that, um, some of my friends, colleagues said, hey, I hear you're writing something. I'd love to read uh, what you've got. So as I started to put out some of the um, the material, uh, some of them said, hey, you know, it'd be incredibly selfish if you didn't release this to the wild because there's a bunch of information here and experiences that people would benefit from. So the real purpose of this book is, you know, how could a founder, somebody who's starting off the business benefit from the wisdom of my wounds? Because I have... While I don't have a formal MBA, right. I tell people I have a PhD in DUMB from the School of Hard Knocks. Yeah. I have done so many dumb things over my time in business, and uh, I wanted to have a way to capture some of those ideas. So I tell people this is really not a, a what to do book. It's a what not to do book. Here's the things I would say you don't do. And um, I had some fun with it because, you know, I am a toy maker from the North, um, right. you know, the North Pole, we have the closest proximity to it being Canadians. Yep. And um, so, uh, you know, I took uh, iconic toys that uh, we would all know, like Etch-A-Sketch, Monopoly, G.I. Joe's, tell a bit of the history of the toys, where they came from, what those toys are trying to teach us. Because there's, there is, as we play, we're growing, we're developing, it's part of, of, of our learning and development process. And then take stories from my experience of being a, a maker in toys and then connect the ideas together at the end of every chapter, kind of pulling the, the key principles and lessons learned. And um, yeah, so Startup Santa, uh, a toy maker's tale of 10 business lessons learned through timeless toys. And uh, I think it's a fun read. It'll certainly be timely for the holidays. And if you're a startup founder, I think there could be a bunch of um, ways that you could uh, avoid some of the, the pain that I had to endure during my, <laughs> my journey. As a toy maker, um, in the book you you talk about a framework. I think it's you call it the quality of life quadrant. Can you explain what that means and how founders can use that uh, when they're growing their startup? Yeah, it's it's that's great, great question actually. So the idea is that there's kind of a chart that I show that sh talks about engagement, our level of engagement, as well as uh, our um, our contentment level, our fulfillment level in life. And we all start off as founders as the rookies, right? We come into it with like expectations and the world is our oyster and all these possibilities. And then as we start to have the courage to lean into uh, creatively attacking problems, there's usually one of three outcomes that happens. We hit a wall and we decide to give up, in which case we become the victim. And the victims, you know, they start pointing at external circumstances and start blaming them for why they are in the position they are. And I talk about them having the three Bs. They're blind to the way that they co-created uh, that situation. They're blaming, they're begrudging the people who are out there who are actually um, doing what, what, what they wanted to be doing, but they're not doing it. And then finally, they just get bitter. And uh, this is like Nelson Mandela saying, you know, trying to um, do harm to others is like having bitterness towards others is like trying to drink um, poison, thinking you're going to do harm to the others. And actually the only person you're doing harm to is yourself, right? So that's the first place you can go to. The second one I call the bystander. And these are the people who initially get some traction, they get some momentum, they get going, but then they get knocked down and they kind of just stop because it's, it's too hard and they just decide not to lean into the possibilities because it's just it getting outside their comfort zone is just uncomfortable and they just get to this place where they just would choose to be comfortable there they have some means but their engagement level falls back and these guys fall into what i call the four p's where they're motivated by <clears throat> power 
prestige, possessions, and pleasure. And they basically uh, use people to acquire things when really the formula for that success is to acquire things and then use them to create meaningful relationships with people. Right. But, uh, and those people often also become the villains. They go after and they attack. They try and make themselves feel better by belittling others. Yep. And then finally, the third is what I call the hero or the champion. And this is the person who has high engagement <clears throat> and also high satisfaction because they're leaning into life and <clears throat> all the possibilities that can come along with that. And those people are focused on what I call the four C's. And that's challenges, contributions in terms of charity and or creativity, connections, <clears throat> and uh, that's the relationships that they build with people that allow them to really flourish in life. And, and you know, where it comes down to, if you ask yourself, what are the most important memories that you have to this point in life? When I ask people that question, they usually talk about when they got married, when right. they had kids, a right. graduation event, when they actually achieved uh, some kind of, you know, goal like a marathon. <clears throat> Those are the four C's. Yeah. Right. Most people spend their time focused on the four P's. They're going after changing extrinsic things. So anyway, so just in summary, you can be a victim, a bystander, or a champion. And you choose based upon the journey. And I encourage people to focus on becoming the champion and the hero of their own journey. Interesting. There was a sentence in there or a phrase that uses as slow as smooth as fast. Can you explain what you mean by that? Because I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it actually comes from the Navy SEALs, <clears throat> and um, okay. it's a part of the the way that they think about <clears throat> when they're moving into a zone. Um, you know, there's there is this urge to rush quickly, mm. but when you rush quickly, <clears throat> you start making a series of mistakes that you have to remake decisions about, and okay. so therefore, because you're stopping to remake decisions, you're slowing down the overall process because you're not making quality decisions. You're doing them in frequency. So the idea that, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, especially in the beginning are nimble and quick, and that's an advantage and it should be an advantage, but there comes a point when you start building an organization, you start getting to a place of scale where you need to slow down and make better quality decisions. Because if you're making fast decisions, you're going to whipsaw your organization and frustrate them, right? And people thrive under clarity, simplicity, and certainty. And when you make a lot of rapid decisions, it's really hard to give them those, those three things. So that is, that is one part of the lesson that I talk about from the GI Joes in the, in the book. Right, and right. then there's another section that we talk about called, you know, advance, protect the flank. And those two lessons are kind of tied together. Tied together. Interesting. So beyond business, Brad, what, what drives you personally? Like, how do you balance your professional ambitions and personal passions and family and all that? What, what, where's the driver for you there? So the final chapter in my book, it's actually a bonus chapter and okay. it's about wearing out and not rusting out. And, you know, I am, um, one of my mentors, Jim Rohn said, you know, in life, you may not be able to do all you find out, make sure you find out all you can do. Mm. And mm. as I think about that, and, um, there's a, a book that was written by, um, a palliative care nurse by the name of Bronnie Ware. um, and she was from Australia and she was looking after people in their, their dying days. Right. And she found there was a common theme to what they were saying and regrets they had. And the amazing thing is of the top five regrets, which by the way, I was like, okay, they must be regretting. Like they made a decision, they did right. something and they're feeling bad about it. But no, the top five regrets, four of the top five for things they didn't do mm. things. They didn't have the courage to do, you know, they would have, um, 
they would have invested more time traveling. They would have invested into relationships. They would have tried that business venture. I mean, it's kind of a crazy uh, right. end of life story and, and sort of sad. And the one thing that they regretted doing was working too much, <laughs> which was giving them no capacity to try yeah. and do other things. <laughs> so as I think about that, I think about, you know, um, I want to make sure that when I'm laying on my deathbed, that I've left it all behind on the field of life, that there's nothing left to squeeze, that I've soaked up all of the good things that life has to offer. And I've squeezed it, drive every opportunity. And because I'm a big kid, I tell people I want to die young as late as possible. Yeah. Meaning I want to stay young at heart. Yeah. And I think that's really important for all of us because kids are full of possibility. And that's one of the most admirable traits. And I hope that we can all uh, be the same. Love it. Um, with your involvement with uh, Lomi and, and, and Pila, is it like sustainability is obviously a focus of yours. I'm curious, what do you think needs to happen for more business to focus on intertwining business and sustainability? Some people think sustainability is too expensive. I'm not going to do it because it's going to cost more money to produce. Or like, and I know it's a big question, but where, what do you think needs to happen? Is there a shift that needs to happen so businesses have more focus on that? Look, I think it all starts with awareness. That is the first step. I'm not going to tell anybody to blow up their business model because that's not helpful. And nope. the other thing I want to say is this, is that um, perfection is the enemy of progress. Mm -hmm. And if we hold ourselves to a perfect standard, we will never get to a place where we're actually progressing in a meaningful way. Um, there was a time when we thought it was completely normal to power the world with whale oil. Right. Now, there was entire industries built around. That. I mean, like most of the Eastern seaboard was built up on the whaling industry. It seems crazy today, but that's, you know, that's how we got some of our energy or actually the other, other. So while they were doing that, they were also collecting bat poop. <laughs> so those are the two things that they were doing to like get energy. And then we discovered coal and I was like, oh, okay, there's coal. And then we discovered petroleum and oh, petroleum's got all these other things. And, and now we're discovering, whoa, there's a whole bunch of like negative side effects from having a whole bunch of these uh, petroleum based uh, materials that, you know, turn into plastics and also pollute the atmosphere. So it's this awareness piece where we're starting to think about, okay, now we can move to a better future, which is more focused on this giant reactor in the sky called the sun. And how can we harness that energy and, or the wind and, or the waves, there's all kinds of other ways that create opportunity. But at the same time, you have to confront the brutal facts of where we are today. So I'm ultimately a big believer in the triple bottom line, but not at the expense of people's standard of living for the moment. So I tell people that they should be aware that they make impact. Like to suggest that what you do is in a vacuum is just to be ignorant. So everything you do in your business has some sort of impact. And with that awareness, how can we start making the steps today that move us to become more sustainable, that embrace more green and clean tech in, in the way that we do things? And eventually we will create that future just, just by the awareness and being focused on it. I just happen to have the privilege of being in a company that's directly focused on it. Right. But I understand that if, if you're currently working in an oil field company, that you have a different dynamic than me. And I'm not suggesting that you should be cutting off your, your current standard of living just to be able to right. uh, focus on this. It's got to be something that makes sense and that is uh, sustainable, which starts with economics. Interesting. So looking ahead, Brad, what's what's uh, what's next for you? Are there any new ventures or projects on the horizon that you're excited about that you can that you can talk about? 
Yeah, look, I think, you know, within Pila and Lomi, we are continuing to innovate. There's a bunch of new things that we're working on, and, and I'm excited to share those with the world. Uh, most people will see that that stuff soon. Yeah. Um, and then I'm, 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 you know, launching the book. And on the other side of the book, I actually um, am doing some, some coaching and some mentoring and um, also, you know, working with some local businesses and helping young entrepreneurs get their ideas and bring them to reality. That's, that's an area I have expertise on how to make things and how to take it from idea to reality. And if there's a way that I can help other people do that, then I'm, I'm happy to participate if, if in fact I can create value. That's amazing. Well, Brad, thank you for uh, spending some time with me this morning. I know you're busy. You said you have a few podcasts today. So thank you for, for, uh, for spending some time. And it's a true testament of like, I would say the entrepreneurial journey is is unique and it's always filled with challenges and triumphs and, and you know it's inspired inspiring to hear that like I love the analogy when you know it's only a failure if you get knocked down you don't get back up like I I love that quote so I think that's something to think about and and you know if we can make positive impact while we're doing I think that's a win-win for everybody so so thank you for sharing your story and uh, uh for joining me today Rob it's been a pleasure awesome great hanging with you Awesome. So our listeners, uh, thank you for tuning in to Bits and Spanners and have a great day. Thanks, Brad. We would like to thank your sponsor, Valley First, a division of First West Credit Union and a member-owned financial cooperative serving the Okanagan, Similkameen, and Thompson regions. They offer a wide range of banking and investment services for individuals and families. Valley First also has a talented business and commercial team to provide the expertise, products, and services local businesses need to grow and thrive.